0: People are my passion, and this podcast is about just that: life, love, careers, relationships, the ups, the downs, the funny, and sometimes not so funny things that happen along the way. I think that everyone has a story to tell, and I want to hear it. So join me weekly as I sit down with everyday people from all walks of life to find out what makes them tick. You are listening to Bright Minds with Ashma. Is your dog or cat eating the most fresh, all natural pet food they can? If you're not feeding them Pet Wants, then they aren't eating the most nutritious food available. Pet Wants is a locally owned pet food store specializing in all natural, fresh pet food delivered right to your front door. Check out petwants.com and set up your subscription today. And for my listeners, use the coupon code BRIGHTMINDS20 to get 20% off your first subscription order today. That's P E T. W A N T S dot com. Check them out, y'all. Welcome back to Bright Minds with Ashmon, everybody. I am Ashley Bright, and I have really been looking forward to today. My guest is a composer, a pianist, a conductor, a lyricist, an author, and you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of titles, but um, nonetheless, y'all, I have got my um, amazing Uncle Sean's partner with me today, David Freeman, everybody. Hey, David. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm really excited.
1: Sure. Sure. Listen,
0: you guys need to go Google him because he has won so many awards and been nominated for so many amazing things. And I am just really impressed with all of his accomplishments. But my podcast is, um, you know, I don't want to go read your Wikipedia page. It's more so about <laughs> what makes you you, you know? Yes. yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. So my Uncle Sean and David, they came to visit a few weeks ago. And, you know, I have to say that after you guys left, Stephen and I were just chatting for the next few days about how much we truly just enjoyed your company and what a great time we had. Well, likewise, Sean and I were chatting the same thing. We so said we have to see them more. I know, right? I just, I feel like you guys just have such an energy about you and I'm really drawn to it. And you guys have like these just funny, great stories. And okay, have you ever hung out with somebody that's terrible, but they're constantly like hogging the conversation and telling stories and you're just like not particularly interested, but you can't get a word in. And yeah. I feel like with you guys, it's the polar opposite. I'm like, tell me more, <laughs> tell me more. Like, <laughs>
1: Although if you ask Sean about my stories, he'd say, uh, my next book is called "That I Ever Tell You? And it's all my stories. And I started with, uh, I tell a lot of stories. I I said to my my partner, Sean, if I ever start telling stories like my father, shoot me. And Sean said, do we have a gun?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, isn't that like every relationship's got to have those quirks though, right? I mean, goodness. Do you know, I already started noticing, I think there's also something just a natural part of getting older that you, you repeat yourself. And I think it truly is. I can't remember if I said it or who I said it to. So you know what? It was a good story and I'm telling it again. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, actually, I was taking a walk with Lucy Arnaz in Palm Springs and she said, I have the next title of your book. And I said, what? And she said, "Uh, well, you tell so many stories and you never remember who you told them to. So you always start with, did I ever tell you? So my book is called, Did I Ever Tell You?
0: Oh, um, David, that's so perfect <laughs> for Lucy to nail that one. I mean, that's yeah. so funny. That's really cute. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. Well,
1: it's written, but, it, but I just released... Another book, the 20th anniversary of my Thought Exchange book. So we're working on that now.
0: 20th uh, anniversary. So we're going to get into the Thought Exchange, but I'm already going to tell you that I botched that because I thought that came out in like, oh my gosh. Wait, I thought it was like 2012. What year did that come uh, out?
1: Well, I'm not sure when the documentary came out. Maybe
0: that's what I did wrong there. Okay.
1: Great. And then we later did a documentary on it. uh, And that's on YouTube. And, uh, but yeah, but it's been 20 years since I started teaching workshops and wrote the book and uh, all that. It might've been later that the book came out even, but it's the 20th anniversary of well,
0: Congratulations. Book. I'm so excited. That's yeah. quite the milestone. All right. We are going to get into that. There's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your career, your talent, I definitely, we're going to head down that path because I think it's so interesting. But I do. If it's okay, I kind of, I think that I've always enjoyed, we kind of talked about this a little bit when you guys were here, but just hearing your story with Uncle Sean, but it taking me back to, um, you know, I think just, I was asking you even about your coming out story and telling your family that mm-hmm. you were gay. And I think that not even, you know, I'm not saying by any means, so I think it's easy now, but I think the acceptance and the knowledge in 2023 verse you know, the 80s and the 90s, I I do hope and for me looking on the outside, I think that we've come so far, but what was that like? I mean, what was that like for you at that time and telling your family and gaining that acceptance? Can you talk me through that? Well, it
1: was a very interesting journey because uh, I was married to a woman when I was 20 and that was, uh, and then I began to realize I was gay and then I went through a whole, and I remember- when I, when I separated from my wife, I mean, my parents
0: clearly
1: had to know, but
0: I don't mean to interrupt you, but do you think you didn't know until you were in your twenties? Or just harder to, it just wasn't something you, you know what I mean? It's just so, it's such a conversation now. Like my kids already kind of know about this where I don't think you growing up probably knew that was not at all. No, but it was
1: the thing that you weren't allowed to be. So when I look back, you know this is what uh repression is like when i look back i always knew and you know had it been an age like today had i had the freedom to explore it uh that would, it would have been a different story but you didn't have that kind of freedom so i kind sure. of suppressed it by you know meeting my girlfriend when i was 14 and we just were together and we got married when we were 20 and i think my friends knew uh uh, people around me. My my father, I remember once, uh, you know, I was a very accomplished pianist and there was this piano teacher uh, who would have been wonderful. And I found out later, my parents didn't send me to him because he was gay. So oh, they wow. had this, you know, there was all this covert and the word gay wasn't mentioned. And it was a, just a, looking back, it was an extraordinary uh, uh, time. And so Uh what happened, I mean, it was a very long process. I did something in the 70s called Est, which was, it's now the Forum. And in the 70s, I had all these new thought, you know, intensive weekends where you learn, be here now, what is, is, all the things that we kind of almost take for granted now. Okay. So, and after I did it, my- You said it was called Est? Est. Est. It was Earhart seminar training. A guy named Werner Earhart started it, and it was a very big thing in the seventies. Everybody was doing it. Okay. Uh, And so my father did it after I did it. And one day, I was meeting him for dinner, and I had just come from my about sex seminar, and he had just come from his about upsets seminar. And I told him I was gay, and he said, "You know, I'm not really surprised." And it's okay with me and I love you, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I'm going to wait for you to tell your mother. I'm not going to tell her. And I didn't tell her for two years.
0: Oh, wow. You know, I would think it would almost be more difficult to tell your father than your mother. So interesting.
1: In my family, for some reason, it wasn't. Uh, My father was more open. My mother was more closed. Sure. And so I I rode my. I lived about a mile from my parents in New York City. I rode my bike over, and I told her, and she she said all the right things. She said, "You know, I still love you," but she said, "I'm really shocked." And I thought, "You had no idea, <laughs> you know," uh, which was something in itself. And so she was okay. I went home. My father called me. He said, "Come right over. Your mother's hysterical." Oh, geez. Came back over, and my mother was graciously serving dinner and was, you know, so there was all this nonsense. Now then, so then I uh, met my first real partner, and we were together, and um, my mother called me one day, and she said, David, I-, I feel terrible about this, but I feel uncomfortable telling my friends that you're gay. Oh. So I said, well, Mom, does it bother you that—and these were close friends from high school. Sure. D- imagine me not telling my closest friends these things— And I said, does it bother you that Lillian's son Bobby is living with a black woman? And she said, no. And I said, does it bother you that Kiki and Phil's daughter, Peggy, is a lesbian? She said, no. I said, well, why would it bother you that they knew about me? She said, it just does. So I said, okay, you're entitled to that. I'm not mad at you, but here's the rules. I never show up anywhere where I either can't bring Scott or I have to pretend he isn't who he is. And so for years- Good for you. That's very, you know, I'm proud of you for that. Yeah, well, it was my stand. And I said to them when I came out, I said, you have a choice. My life is going to be my life. And you are my parents. If you want to know when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm in love, when I'm not, you may. If you don't want to know that,
0: it's going to happen anyway. So you can decide how close you want to be to me. But I think that's incredible that you said that to them, because I, I would think about stories I've heard and people I've known who would just terrified of those kind of conversations, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: because, well, because, and again, I was 30, so I wasn't 15, you know? I mean, I was— It's, I it's a big a
0: difference. Of, I do feel like 30s, you're coming into your own and figuring yeah, out who you are and being back. more confident in that, for sure. Exactly.
1: So, uh, for years, we went to Scott's parents in Scottsdale for Thanksgiving instead of going to my parents with their friends— And after about five years, my mother called one day and said, Oh, Kiki and Phil are having us all over. Bring Scott, we're all fine. And they all (laughs) knew about him. And he was like my, you know, their, you know, my spouse. But it was interesting. My father had two sisters, Helen and Blanche. And Blanche had been divorced years earlier. And Helen never married. Now, when I separated from my wife, I was in New York and my wife was in Boston. And my mother This is, I mean, hilarious when you think about it, but (laughs) horrible. She didn't want anyone to know that we were separated because she wanted me to get back with Lynn. You know, she didn't care what, you know. Sure. And so so she didn't tell anybody I was there. And one day I was eating my breakfast, and my grandfather rang the downstairs bell. We were in an apartment. And the breakfast was right at the front door. So my mother stuck me in the bedroom with my eggs. No. But my grandfather wouldn't know I was there. But... (laughs) My mother forgot to give me the salt. So <laughs> I phoned my brother in New Jersey, and I said, could you call mom and tell her to bring the salt into the bedroom? This my is was glorious, but of course, I had to have salt. So I'm
0: not eating these bed. eggs without my salt. <laughs> but,
1: but she told my grandfather, when my brother called, she said, hello, Lillian. Like, you know, she was lying about
0: who you oh, was. Oh, my gosh. Wait, did you tell your wife that when you guys got separated, was this essentially, the? I mean, were you honest with her then?
1: It wasn't because I was gay. I had another girlfriend a couple of years later, and then I began to realize, because I was, I was music directing at the 13th Street Theater, a landmark show called Boy Meets Boy, and it was a landmark gay show. So I was in a very gay environment, and it gradually began to dawn on me. Now, when my wife was ready to marry her second husband, I called her up and I said, listen, Our marriage had a number of problems, but I think that there's something you should know that will make certain things clear. And then I told her I was gay. And, uh, you know, and she was, I mean, Sean and she and I get, you know, have gotten together. uh, Oh, I love that. uh, In fact, I gave a concert in Boston and Sean was there selling CDs and my wife was there with other people. And he heard her say, um, oh, David said, I could have this. And Sean said, oh, are you Lynn? And he said, yes, I'm Sean. And they hugged, and how are you? But then he said at one point, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. And he said, what were you thinking? And he said, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh (laughs) It's all fine now. But so anyway, when, when that happened, and I was hiding, my father's sister, Helen, came down, my aunt Helen. And she said, And I was there. She said, what are you doing here? I said, oh, you know, I'm just visiting. And she said, where's Lynn? And I said, in Boston. And she said, get in here. And she took me in the bedroom. She said, what's going on? And I said, well, Lynn and I are separated, and mom and dad don't want anyone to know about it. And she put her finger in my face, and she said, David, this is your life. You do whatever you need to do. Go ahead, Aunt Helen. She's that. Now, I love that. If you think about it, Aunt Helen, never married. She used to travel with her best girlfriend and uh-huh. then it's the big side and never speak to each other again. And then she'd have another best
0: girlfriend. I'm picking up what you're putting and down here. Okay. My
1: father <laughs> said he never knew her to be gay, but she must have been. And at that time, of course, you just didn't say anything. So, when I got together with my, with Scott, my first you know real long term boyfriend, I was going. Blanche was divorced, her sister, and they were living together. And I was going to their house for dinner. And I said to my mother, "I want to tell them I'm gay." And my mother said, "Why do you have to tell them?" What? And I said, "Because I'm close to them, and they should know." Yeah. So, um, I I was at the house for dinner, and then they said, "Oh, so tell us about your new apartment. I got this gorgeous apartment overlooking the river, et cetera. And I said, well, uh, there's something I have to tell you. And they went, hmm And I said, uh, I haven't been quite honest with you. And they said, mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know how to say this. And Aunt Blanche said, just say it. And I said, I'm gay. And they went, so? Oh, I love that. And I said, did you know? And they said, not necessarily, but it had crossed our minds. And then I told them about Scott and they said, oh, we understand why you wouldn't want to, but we wish you had brought him. And for the rest of our lives, they
0: called him their nephew. Oh my gosh. Um, I love these two women that I don't even know I, just from these right. stories. That's really very progressive of them in the, in the best way. I love that.
1: And you know, my father said to me in the, I guess it was in the eighties. He said, you know, David, I was born in 1921 and In 1920, women had just gotten the vote. So when I was a kid, it was a very unusual thing for women to vote. Now it's nothing. He said, But remember when you were a kid, if there was a black man and a white woman, or a Catholic woman and a white and a Jewish man, it was like a scandal. And now it's nothing. He said, David, gay marriage is going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to go up and down and back and forth and screaming and yelling, and it will become normalized. And now we're dealing with trans and everyone's and arms. And someone said to me the other day, well, I don't know. I think trans people, you know, of course they should be allowed to be that, but when it comes to sports, I don't know. And I said, what you're saying is right now, we're confused about it and we will figure it out in some way, but not just yet. So we have to really... Uh, the head of Broadway Cares told me once. He said, "I feel like you're a really militant gay person." And I said, "What? <laughs> I'm the most non militant And he said, "No, you're militant because you see absolutely no difference between a gay couple, a straight couple, uh, love is love, and you just don't make the distinction." Someone says, "Here's my boyfriend," "Here's my girlfriend," "Here's my husband," "Here's my wife," "Here's my whatever." You just go, "Cool." Uh,
0: well, and- I'll and- take that. What a great
1: compliment. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. And that's where we want to get with this stuff is to the point where it's, I always say, if someone really thinks that there's something terrible about gay people, come to Sean in my house for dinner. And just. Oh my gosh, you us. guys are so yeah. fabulous. Absolutely, you know, right? <laughs> we're people. And uh, it's, I remember my doorman saying, you know you guys are really nice guys. And the implication was for a couple of gay guys, you know, but, but oh, I felt like <laughs> oh, no, guy, I'm shocked here. <laughs> he, was, he was learning. He was figuring it out. Well,
0: and like, I like that you it, accept people that are trying to figure it out and not quick to judge them when they maybe were raised a different way or in a different time and right. willing to bear with them, you know, come get like, to know me. Like, like let's- one of the things that bugs me
1: is, you know, when people want to be called they or whatever, uh, I, I totally respect that. But, don't yell at me if I don't quite get it right, because it's. it takes people time Shh, to think or you just, have a, yeah. a, a son who's now a daughter. I remember when I, I, I had some surgery last year, and I was in the hospital, and they ask you all these questions. So they said, what sex were you born? I said, male. What sex do you identify as? I said, male. They said, how would you like to be addressed? And I said, your majesty. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Jeez Louise. That has not happened in the state of North Carolina yet to me, but you know, I'm sure.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> here they have laws that you you have to ask those questions uh, and that people have the right to be addressed and to identify and uh it's like a standard question on any submission or anything but different states you know it takes longer i guess but uh, i
0: agree like i i truly it's not that to take issue with it but i do i would like some patience when i'm trying to get it right because it, it just doesn't flow yet like to that's think, to right say, you know would she like that? it's that you know that's that's tricky to wrap your your mind around so mm-hmm. it's not that i'm purposely trying to hurt someone's feelings or insult them. It's just, it's going to take me a minute. You know, right. You get it right.
1: it's like with my mother, I didn't, I understood that it was very difficult for her to wrap herself around me being gay. And I'm not going to tell her how dare you not understand me. She doesn't, but, uh, but I'm going to give her time. And, and she came around in time and, uh, you know, If you have the right to be how you are, everybody has the right to be how they are. And so people are going to have trouble with it. And especially, you know, things like calling someone they or whatever the correct. And I find people who are comfortable with it say, call me whatever you want. Or, you know, I prefer this, but, you know, if you make a little slip or whatever, uh, it's. I'm not going to write you off or think that that you're. (laughs) Exactly. And and so to give people the same tolerance that you would like to be given uh, about that. So You
0: know, we've only been chatting a few minutes here and I feel like somebody can already pick up on your character and who you are. And I, I love that about you. I think like just mm-hmm. this acceptance and this way of speaking, I don't know. I'm just, it's really impressive.
1: Thank you. Well, listen,
0: I know I you've got a lot of chapters and relationships and of course. I, l- listen, if I could go on, sometimes I think these things would be three hours because I now am yes. curious about Scott. But regardless, <laughs> let's fast forward to meeting my uncle Sean. I um I know that's a lot of fast forwarding, but I remind me again, like how you guys met and what that relationship was. I mean, you guys have been together a long time.
1: Uh, Twenty one years. Yes, that's um, a long time. <laughs> well, Sean, uh, I kind of knew Sean peripherally because Sean was um, the uh, Sound man and Light Man at Don't Tell Mama, the club that I played at a lot. But frankly, I thought of Sean as the crappy sound man, Sean <laughs> earlier days. I mean, he still was, but he had a lot of attitude and uh, there was a lot of drinking, and there was a lot of, you know, he's a completely different person, but he sure. was he said he was he was never voted most likely to be a minister, maybe
0: most likely to need one. <laughs> And That's actually very funny. So I didn't uh I didn't really So wasn't this like love at first sight situation?
1: God no in fact uh, so there was a singer named Nancy Lamotte who uh was my muse. I mean I I created a record company for her, I produced endless CDs for her, and she went from being a regular cabaret singer to being a very big, you know, recording star. Yeah. And anyway, Nancy died uh at 43, of uh, Crohn's disease and uterine cancer. And it was a very uh, devastating time. And she, we had a memorial service for her, and 1,500 people came. And people like Tony Bennett, Margaret Whiting, you know. I mean, it was a gigantic memorial service. And my partner, Scott, who I'd been with at that time for maybe uh, 11 years, um. He was her manager. I had brought him in as that. And so we were running this benefit, this uh memorial service. And at the end of it, you know, we had a receiving line. And Sean said, I don't even remember this. He came up to me and he shook my hand and he looked in my eyes and he said, I'm going to be with this man someday. Now, of course, I was with my other boyfriend and as Sean said, he would have been fine, but I'm a good boy, so I don't cheat. So, uh, so I didn't even, I, I, I didn't even register. I don't remember meeting him. So anyway, three years go by. From the date of this funeral. The date of this funeral. Okay. Because Sean always says, where did you meet? At a funeral. Uh, and so, um, we are, my, my ex and I have just moved into a new apartment and I am, uh, installing all of these uh, computer and phone lines, stuff like that. And I go to get on his computer to hook it up, and his password doesn't work. So I call him. He was in the studio, and I said, um, I just tried to get on your computer. Did you change your password? He said, yes. I said, oh, I need to get on it. So I got on, and something told me to look at his emails. Oh, and no. he was having an affair with a, uh, someone I'd introduced him to, no i came across these horrible like i'll let david take me to europe for our 15th anniversary and then i'll figure out how to oh, leave him and wasn't it fun when we were making out in the bedroom when david was in the living room you know i mean really horrifying i this and is
0: years ago and i have such a pit. Yeah. that is
1: awful i felt the feeling and it was funny because two weeks ago we had a new uh, internet installed and i called sean and i said we need to get on your computer to hook it up and he said don't look at my email. I don't want you to find out I'm having an affair.
0: Not funny, <laughs> Uncle Sean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Too soon. Okay, I didn't register that. I mean, it was so many years ago. I didn't oh even. Any so anyway, so then, what uh, did you do with that? Did you like? do you wait till he gets home? Did you call him back up? What'd you do? I, well, it's interesting because you see, we had really been. This comes to my thought exchange stuff. We had really been. I knew we were not having a good time. There was something wrong. And I always prayed. I I had a prayer that I pray that he will love me in the way I want to be loved. Now, that was not happening. Uh, I was not willing to leave him. And he clearly was not willing to love me. And then somehow, unconsciously, my prayer changed to, I am willing to be loved in the way I want to be loved. Now, I'm willing to be loved in the way I want to be loved. I'm with him. I'm not willing to leave him. And he is unwilling to love me in the way I want to be loved. Well, he left me. That prayer got answered. Just in in a way, way. a different way. so, So I... I had therapy that morning. I went to my therapist and I said to her, you can buy the country house. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be here for a
0: while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, That's amazing.
1: (laughs) So I came home, I called him and I said, I know, and you need to find another place to stay. So in other words, I immediately took the out and Sean always reminds me, he didn't leave you, you threw him out. And Sean says, probably he was such a kind of wuss that if you had not said anything, that affair would have run its course, which it did. And then he would have just stayed. Did you uh,
0: think about, like, could we work this out? Could I no, forgive him? not for okay. a
1: second. Not for a second. And that's interesting. Uh, but I was devastated. I thought it was like the end of my life. And anyway, that uh, that evening, Scott was doing a club act at Don't Tell Mama. And no. he walks in and he says, now I may be a little bit, you know, out of it today. Cause my 15th year relationship with David just ended. And Sean went, Hmm, ears perked up. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> but it's, I still didn't notice Sean at all. I didn't know he was alive, you know? I mean, and so three more years went by and, uh, Norm Lewis, who is a, you
0: know, yes. one
1: Broadway star. Love Norm, Norm Lewis. Yeah, adore him. And he called me and he said, David, do you have the music to your song, We Can Be Kind, in my key? And I said, you know, I don't have it written out because when we do it every year at the Duke Children's Hospital benefit, I conduct it from the piano and the orchestra plays it. I said, but why do you want it? He said, well, I, I've been invited to sing at Unity and I'd like to sing it. And I said, you know what? I've always heard about unity because unity in New York, a lot of celebrities were there, a lot of show business people. I said, I'll come down and play it for you. So I come down and play it for him. And when I walked in, I got like a standing ovation because they've been using my music for years. I had no idea that they were. So anyway, Sean was just studying to become a minister and he was there and I waved to him. You know, I knew who he was and he waved to me and we all went to lunch. And Norm said to me, he said, I don't know. I have a feeling this is going to be a very important day for you. I'm not sure what. No way. So a few weeks later, I get a call from, uh, I get a call and it says, hi, uh, this is Britt Hall. Uh, I'm the music minister of Unity. And after I went to that service, it was so, it was like as a Jewish person, the first time I'd heard christ and jesus mentioned in a way that made sense to me that i didn't have to worship jesus that i could take the teachings of jesus and that jesus was telling me that i have as much power as anybody to be connected to god so i went i quietly went to services and sat on the side because too much hugging too much whatever (laughs) and and so he called me and he said listen i don't know you very well but we know you've been coming to church and we were wondering could we hire you to sing and uh, play at a uh, retreat we're doing on um, healing your heart. And I was, it had been three years, and I was not in a relationship. I was very depressed. I was very, so I said, sure. And then uh, another person called me and said, now, do you want to participate in the retreat or just, and I said, yeah, I want to sit in my trailer and come out only when I sing, of course, I want to participate. (laughs) Uh, So... I went up there and Sean said to himself, I'm coming back with a fella. He just made a so he hung around me all the time, etc. And then one day, this was like the ultimate thought exchange. I was sitting in a little chapel, uh, and just sort of meditating. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. I why am I thinking that I can't have a boyfriend just because one guy dumped me. I would make someone a wonderful boyfriend. I have so many great qualities, and uh, and I thought, you know, Patty LaPone must have auditioned for Cats, and she didn't get it because Betty Buckley got it. Patty didn't decide she can't do uh, a Broadway show. She did. Evita, she did Gypsy, she won Tony, she did a. Why am I deciding? Yes. One, one door closes me, doesn't mean that, yes. <laughs> that I can't have a boyfriend. And as I had that thought, the door opened and Sean said, Hi.
0: No way. I love and I, that.
1: And so we, he sat down and started talking to me. And I looked over at him and I said, This guy is hitting on me. I haven't seen that in years. And we were
0: together since that day. Oh my gosh. I love that. How do I not, I guess, you know, you've been together so long, you kind of forget how it came. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do. I really like y'all's relationship. I, it's, something when we have sat down and had dinners and talked like you're just open and honest and I think even on my porch a few weeks ago we were talking I was sharing openly how about couples counseling and vice versa and I just love when people can be real about their relationships yes okay so this this is something I loved and I don't even know if you like it just made such a little impact had me giggling but also I thought it was just really like important so there was a silly story and you're gonna have to help me with the details um, but for whatever reason, I like that you shared it and it was just something about you being so in tune with your partner and like finding out, oh, this is why he acts this way, which is things I love about therapy, like Stephen does this, and but understanding why he does it, but whatever. So she, there was a story and I want to say there was a question you were asking Sean in the morning, like, what's the weather or... Oh, like, oh I know the story. Yeah. okay. Can you help me out with the story? Because I really liked it. Sean is, well... You know,
1: you know your father, so you know a lot of the Moninger quirks. Uh, and <laughs> sure do. Has them. So, Sean, from his childhood of being, you know, ridiculed, and you know, there was a lot of alcohol around there, and you know, it was, uh, when his father left, he was four. So he has a lot of stuff on being criticized, and one of the things that. Sean cannot tolerate is not knowing the answer to a question you ask him. So, and so if I would say, What's the weather going to be tomorrow? he would hear that as I was saying that he's supposed to know what the weather is going to be. And so if I said, What's the weather? he would say, How should I know? (laughs) And so he said, "You have to ask. Do you know what the weather is?" And I'd be like, "Sean, all right, can we say right now that when I ask what the we- what's the weather going to be, I mean, do you know?" But the the question so triggered him that he couldn't hear that. It didn't matter what I said. So I realized, okay. This is not about me. This is because yes. he would criticize. You'd say, "Well, you would know that you don't attack." And I think, listen, I know maybe seven thousand people, and six thousand nine hundred ninety-nine of them don't mind if I say, "What's the weather tomorrow?" And you do. This is not me, even though you'd like to make it me because you're. It so upsets you. So I said, "It's not about me." Sean has a problem with this. So. I will ask him, I'll say, to you know what the weather is? And as I would say that over the years, Sean would feel more taken care of. He'd understand that I understood him. And so I would do it for him. But one night we were in bed after years and I forgot. And I said, what's the weather tomorrow? And he said, I don't know. And I started laughing, and he said, "What are you laughing about?" And I said, "Well, no, it's just that I would have answered that question entirely differently." And he said, "Really? What would you have said?" And I said, "I would have said, I don't know." <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Okay, but the fact is, thats amazing <laughs> with this tone and not that. Yeah, that's think right. It's <laughs> like if we're honest, we all have these what we'll call it a cork, whatever, like these things in our relationship but so like i mean david that could have been like a breaking point for some people or this source of tension but you guys like took the time to figure out why it was triggering you made the conscious effort to accept that and do it differently and i just i think that's so powerful i mean it's like y- y- he was feeling seen and heard and i feel like it's just such a good solid foundation for this lasting relationship you well, know well actually because relationships you know i mean I I was laughing. I
1: have a student who is my age. And about 10 years ago, she said to me, she was having like a little pity party. And she said, you know, you're with someone and I'm all alone. And I said, and? She said, well, when you're married, at least you know when you come home with a problem, there's someone there who always 100% agrees with you and supports you. And I was like, uh... (laughs) The really? kind of marriage, or yeah, <laughs> and, and that's right. And Sean said, and she knows me, and she said that you know. And so <laughs> we listen. So marriage, I mean, that pe- like people say to me, oh, I want what you have, and I said, uh, that's great. I love what I have, but are you willing to work that hard? Because it really is work. And one of the bigger stories that I'm reminded of uh, that you uh, talked about in relation to the other story, Sean is clean but not neat. And I I am neat, but not clean. So Sean, um, like when I first went to his apartment, his apartment was very clean, but he had 30 tchotchkes on the kitchen counter that he was thinking about where he wanted to put them for the last 10 years. And, and so Sean can, Sean can walk into the kitchen and say, David, you splashed oil on the counter when you were cooking, which I don't notice, but I do notice the fourteen plates and glasses that Sean has left on the counter. And Sean doesn't care about the clutter, sure, but but it drives him nuts with the oil. And this became a real big thing. And one day, uh, he walked into the kitchen, and he'll go, "I don't want to eat at home because you're too messy and." Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> It's just huge because, you know, during the pandemic, Sean and I, my joke is we saved $70,000 a month because he didn't eat out. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, so one day he walks in and there's oil splashed on the counter. I've been frying something. And he says, I can't stand this. This is just horrible. You don't care about what I think. You don't love me. And he, and he stormed out. And I followed him. I said, stop. I said, Sean, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? And he said, yes. I said, then that's oil on the counter. So for years, we tried to do better. I tried to go, like Sean, every morning leaves his iced tea glass on the counter. It would drive me crazy. And and if you asked me, he said, no, because I might use it later. But he never did. So I got into the habit. It's an act of love for me. I come down to the kitchen. I take his iced tea glass. I put it in the dishwasher. It's just what I. Yes. And so one day, years later, it was like 17 years into this. uh, We come home from dinner out and he calls me. He says, David, come in here into the kitchen. And he shows me that there's like schmutz on the refrigerator handle. I had obviously, you know, been cooking. And then I grab the handle.
0: Schmutz, sure, and- that's a funny word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the word, schmutz. So I said, oh, honey, I'm sorry. And he said, no, no, David, let me tell you something. For 17 years, I have thought that this meant that you don't love me. And I just realized it's just schmutz. Oh, and I went, Oh, God, oh God. you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be calling this episode. It's just, us. it's
1: just,
0: <laughs> <us>. yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I do think that's so, I really, I think the older you get and the longer you're in a relationship, you hear this when you're young, like relationships are work, relationships are work. And you're going, you know, what the heck? Like you can't appreciate it until you're in a long-term relationship. You're like, by God, this is work. People, you have to change and adapt to some extent or it's not going to work. Oh, and people, you know, you, like I remember when I I had heart surgery last year and
1: they gave me two choices. I could do it laparoscopically or I could have my sternum cracked. And the doctor said, I really think you should go for the open chest. He said, it just, they look right at it. It's better. They can do it better. And he said, "How long have you been married?" I said, "20 years." He said, "A scar is not going to matter."
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, I
1: mean, yes, like, we are, are way we,
0: past that. Like, there is like
1: <laughs> married. I mean, this is a story. Sean hates when I tell this story, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were watching TV in bed one day, and I got up to go to the bathroom, and I was in my underwear, and I went da 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 bum, <laughs> grinding, and Sean looks at me and goes. Really? <laughs> <You
0: know. laughs> I got it. You know, sorry, you're not, yeah, you're not going anywhere. I got this yeah, locked down. No, I will be you know, my silly self now. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. The and so, you know,
1: you get, you get accustomed to people. You have to work at it. You have to uh, make allowances for people. But it, it has to be, when it works, it has to be a circle. You have to know that you're really making allowances and that, the other person is making allowances for you and your, uh, so like true. you know, Sean has an inordinate fear of rats. He just does rats. Oh, I didn't know that. And and it's a phobia. And when someone has a phobia, you can't reason with it. So, if we're walking in New York and there's a pile of garbage, Sean is really afraid that a rat is
0: going to come out. And by Which th- New York City, that seems like a valid fear.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> if you explain to him that the chances of a rat biting you are one 100,000th of the chance of you being in a car accident, and yet he will go into a car without thinking about it. So I I do not try to, I mean, I support him if we say, can we walk here and see whatever?" but Sean will often walk in the middle of the street if there's garbage on the sidewalk. Oh my goodness. I okay. Just walk with him. Uh, and and then that gives again. It gives Sean the support that I'm not making fun of him. I'm I'm at the and yeah. Sean will will say to me, Oh, you know, today I walked on the side. I did a little better. Uh, and you really, you know, the oh, and listen. As you get really older, uh, you begin to have frailties. You begin to have challenges. You begin to have. You begin to you know need to take someone's arm. You need, begin to move slower. You begin to. And it's so important that you develop this ability to say, for better or for worse, I'm with you. Uh, you know, like for instance, Sean. I love this. Sean dropped out of high school and then he went back for his, you know, uh, equivalencies. And Sean like is GED, extremely, yeah. Well, yeah. And he's extremely well read and he is, uh, you know, a minister. He's very, but there are gaps in Sean's education. And so Sean will sometimes ask me a question about something that it's unbelievable that he wouldn't know about it, because they taught it in eleventh grade and he didn't go to eleventh grade. So he'll say to yeah. me like, "What's the electoral college?" You know, something. Like that. And what I do is I answer it without a flinch. I do not give an ounce of you don't know that. I just. <laughs> answer. Which
0: I'm sure your brain's going. And then the way you, I love that. I feel like that's like relationship goals. Like if, you know, if everyone put that effort, but you have to want to put that effort in. Well, you have to
1: want to, it has to be worth it. It's like my uncle, when he was a hundred, they, they brought someone in to give him a sanity test and they said to him, who's the president of the United States? He said, you don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm asking for fun here. Like, you know, if I'm saying that, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I do not know. But so, Uh, yeah, I mean, so you, you know, when you live
1: I always say this to people who are dating. I say, when you date, do not put your best foot forward, (laughs) be yourself. Because if you pretend to be someone you're not, that's the person who they think they're getting. And then when you're with them, you will not be able to maintain that. So I say that the reason Sean is with me is because there's someone in the world who likes someone who tells stories endlessly, is erotic, is a hypochondriac, and is, you know, whatever. What and, a catch. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but there's someone who wants that. And when you live that closely with someone, when you sleep with someone, they snore. You know their bad habits. You know their problems. You know what they get angry at. You know what they don't like. You know when they're being stupid. And- it's not that you like it and it's not that it doesn't drive you nuts at times, but you you are, you know, when you're that intimate with someone, you're giving them a lot of ammunition uh, to hurt you and to attack right. you and stuff. And you have to know that and when you can really uh, make time for and love those things. And it's hard because there are many times where Sean is different from me and sean i was reading a wonderful book called uh, attached and it's a book about attachment styles and yes there are three basic styles some people are overly attached some people are attachment averse and some people are healthily attached and so i tend to be overly attached and i want to really talk about things And Sean is concerned that he's going to be attacked or revealed or whatever, so he doesn't. So if Sean has had something really important happen during the day, I would be sitting waiting for him and say, Sean, tell me all about it. And he would say, I just went through it. I don't want to tell you about it. If I come home, Sean doesn't even ask me what happened. So I have learned that... When Sean comes home, I don't say anything. And then he'll take his time and he'll tell me when he's ready. Sean has learned to be better about being ready and waiting to ask me because he knows that's what I want.
0: I think that is just so relatable. Yeah. Yes, if, if Steven didn't do that, I would think he wasn't interested and didn't want to hear. And it, and I feel like you and I have so many similarities. Like I, yeah. yes, I am a talker. I want to share. Listen, to what just happened. And if he doesn't ask or engage, and we have been through this in our own yep. marriage. And I'm like, I, I feel like you don't care if I'm the one who has to bring it up right. and you're not asking. And, you know, it's just, right. we're just different and that's I okay. Mean, the things we think automatically from,
1: our childhood. I remember I was in couples counseling with my previous partner and Sean and I have been in plenty of couples counseling. We've done a lot of it. Uh, but And I found out that anytime I disagree with him, he thinks I'm leaving. So Mm. I, for four months would say, Scott, um, I'm not leaving, but I think we should paint the living room blue instead of... (laughs) You know, I mean whatever the case and, but is. But I, I preface it with I'm not leaving because and so we all from our childhood we have all sorts of things that we uh that we automatically think that have nothing to do with reality. Sure. Uh, and and so to really uh know that this is our thought and that Uh, You know, it's interesting because a lot of these come from our childhood. And when you look at how little children think, you know, you have two young kids. Mm -hmm. My godson, when he was four, they moved to a new house. And his mother said, how do you like the new house? And he said, I love it, but when's it going to start shrinking? (laughs) She said, why would you think the house is shrinking. And he said, well, you said that our last house got too small for us. That is so cute. (laughs) And so they think literally my aunt, I have a picture of her in 19, uh, uh, 15 and they used to come around to the neighborhood with a pony and they put little kids on the pony and they had a big box camera and they'd take a picture and she looked terrified. And I said, What were you so terrified of? She said, well, they put me on the horse and they said, when we push this button, you're going to go into the camera. And she thought she was going to get sucked off the horse. Literally into the cameras. (laughs) Poor Uncle Sean. I don't know if your father's like this, but Sean is completely literal. Completely. So when we got together, if I would say to Sean, guess what? He'd say, how could I possibly guess what? If I said to him, you're never going to believe this, he'd say, you don't know if I believe it or not. I mean, it was like shock. He
0: does do that. And yes, my dad is the same way. And that's so funny, right? Like, and I haven't really thought about it because he's just always been that way. It's like one of them. You're right. They're very literal. Literal? Oh my gosh. And I had to say the
1: answer is what?
0: What? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think that you and Sean should do Like have your own podcast on relationships Because I, re- I think it's just Again, it's admirable It's relatable You just have great perspective and insight And I feel like a lot of people turn to you guys for this stuff Because you're really well, you do, From from everything I could tell, you're like doing it right And I just well, and love we are, to be I'm around it friend. I mean, it is like,
1: for instance Sean is away this week He's in Kansas City at the Unity Convention uh, I said in in uh, church, we do um uh, uh, good news. And I said, I have two pieces of good news. Sean is going away. Today. <laughs> and then I, the other piece is Sean is coming back on Friday. You know? That's but a... <laughs> I, am, I am so delighted when he's away. I can be on my schedule and I don't have to this and I don't do that. I mean, and really, you know, when I was much younger, because one of the books I wrote after my ex, uh, we split up. In order to heal, I started interviewing couples of long standing about how they met, and I wrote a book called How They Met. And what you find, I would I would look at couples of long standing, and one of my favorite stories was my friends David and Alan. Alan is in his eighties, and David's in his seventies, and they've been together thirty-seven years. And when I interviewed David, he said, "When I met Alan, uh, I really liked him, but he didn't." check all the boxes for me, but I thought, there's too much here to throw him away, so I'm going to stay until I decide whether he's the one, and I said, well, you've been together 37 years. When did you decide? And he said, oh, I'm still deciding. <laughs> And and that's really couples of long standing. I thought what I'd see is, oh my darling, my love you are so. And what uh-huh. I saw in every case was, what are you talking about? You're driving me crazy.
0: How many times? Oh, I love that the honesty. Right? It's yeah, not yeah. this love at first sight. Everything's been perfectly. Like, get out of here with that. Like that's
1: right. not.
0: It's the intimacy that you
1: can sure. you can talk that way. You can not to be disrespectful, but you can say what you feel and you can you can put it out there and you because. You're living with someone. I remember there's a wonderful comedian, Julie Halston, brilliant. And when she got married, she did this routine and she said, oh, Ralph and I, we had the marriage at the Algonquin and everyone was there. And then we went on the honeymoon to Aruba and it was just so lovely. And we came back and we came to our apartment and we went to sleep and we got up in the morning and I said, oh, you're still here. (laughs) I went in the kitchen and I said, oh, he's in the kitchen. And I went in the bathroom and I went, oh, he's in the bathroom. You know, it's like. <laughs> this is amazing.
0: Yes. I love that you said that like Sean's going away and Sean's coming back. That's it's like, Stephen yeah. is truly my favorite person, but man, you got to have your space, right? Yeah, it's like, nice. he's my favorite person to be around, but I, like, I just, that, again, it's so relatable. It's yeah. very funny. And yeah. I think in
1: good, rela- you know, my relationship with Sean, it's the first time I allowed myself to know that. I allowed myself huh. to be able to say, yeah, I'd love it if he would be out. I'd love it if he would, you know, uh, we do this separately, you know.
0: But it probably I mean, speaks to your own growth, too, you know, as a person in therapy. Yeah, you work it on yourself, you yeah, know. Yeah, it does. It speaks to that I'm
1: comfortable in my skin. And also, it's funny because, like, children tend to forget this. Like, when, like for instance, if a, if a parent remarries or whatever, mm-hmm. children tend to forget that, your parents are not related to each other. Your parents are two people who met. And if something ends or someone dies or whatever, your parent is entitled to meet someone else. They are not relatives. They decided to be together as a part of their journey. And kids often have a hard time when they're, you know, Older parent, and one of them has died, and they meet someone else, or parents are divorced, and someone finds someone new. And the fact is, you're in a relationship, and you are a relationship. I think this is what's important a relationship is not a fixed thing. Like people say, I have a relationship. Every day, you are choosing to be in that relationship. Every day you are making moment-to-moment choices about whether to feed that relationship or create uh, discord in it about whether to speak your mind or not. Yes. I view a relationship as a system. Uh, and rather than that there's another person, there is you, me, and everything you do affects the system. So like Sean tends to... Uh, in his office, he leaves clutter on his chair to the point where you couldn't even sit on the chair. There's a pile of junk and it's the, you, it's the office. You go through his office to get to the guests, to the downstairs, uh, powder room. So people are walking through it all the time and it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. It. So I wanted him to clean it up and he was away. And I thought, I could put all his stuff in a plastic bin and then say, here's your stuff in the plastic bin. Go through it when you want. Oh, no. Realized in the <laughs> system, that would create discord from his side. He'd say, you're controlling me. You're this. You're that. Well, you know, it's not your thing. And so that doesn't work in the system. So Sean was having a big party for a group that he's involved in and making a beautiful dinner. And I know that Sean is very invested in having people love our house. Right. So I said to him, I said, you know, Sean, I think it would be great if you cleaned up that chair so that when people walk through here, you know, it it looks lovely. And he said, that's a great idea. And he did it because I found a way yes. to not disrupt his half of the system, to not insult him or make him feel less than or attack him. And on my side of the system, I want something to happen, but he's also in the system. So I can't just barrel through and do that. He is part of the system of me, Sean. And... uh, I really love that. Yeah. Yes. Part of
0: the system. Yeah. You know, again, I feel like you and I do have a lot in common and I, this is, so I have an an issue with clutter. And again, I am neat, but I'm not clean. So whatever about the dirt on the floor, but, and you know, you've been, there's just, I can't have anything on the counters. I don't like too many things hanging on the walls. And I had, I explained to Stephen countless times, but you know, early on, like the way I try to let him know the way I feel, like what my body feels like when I see clutter. When you come in and your keys and your phone and the mail you just carried in you just set it on the counter, what it does to me, which it might not be normal. I think, I'm sure I've got some sort of like, you know, whatever it is, but it it really is is triggering. It throws off our whole lovely evening. Like, and I'm pissed, you know, like it was something we had and I just needed him to understand, like, this is how I, it's so silly, you know, those domestic disputes, but they can become. But yet the other person doesn't even see it. Sure, sure, right? He wasn't doing it ju- just to mess with me. Like, <laughs>
1: and And especially, you know, what's, what's always like, for instance, the argument that you can't win. Now, in your marriage, because in almost every relationship I know, there's one person who's cold and one person who's hot in bed. One person is freezing, the other <laughs> person is it's boiling. So uh, true. And so, Sean, when we go to sleep, Sean, uh, we have three quilts and Sean takes the three quilts, folds them over onto me. So I have six layers. He takes a little thin cotton blanket. I turn on the heating pad and he puts a fan on himself. (laughs) Now I'll walk into the room and I'll say, it's freezing in here. I'll go, it's boiling. No, it's freezing. No, it's boiling. You cannot win that because it's, it is freezing to me and boiling to him. And so, what? And why is that the case in everybody's relationship it's, across America? It's, it's just so just, true. <laughs> and it's one of those things you adapt. Now, so in other words, the real mistake people make is if Stephen tries to convince you that it's ridiculous that there shouldn't be clutter, and you try to convince him that he's wrong for not caring about that, you will fight about that forever. To really recognize, I see you and you are different. And because whenever, as Sean said, one of our biggest problems in our early relationship was we kept trying to live by the rules of previous relationship and fix the other person. And yes. you don't fix the other person. You you get them. I mean, I know I love that. years ago... Uh, I was thinking about joining Al-Anon, and Sean is in long-term recovery, like 30 years. uh, Mm -hmm. And when you go to Al-Anon, people think it's about, I'm going to get my alcoholic not to drink. But Al-Anon is really about you. And so I had two friends in Tulsa. I was on the road, and they invited me. They were both in Al-Anon, and they invited me to dinner. And they brought this woman... Who was in her mid-70s, and she said, oh, honey, I've been in Al-Anon for 50 years, and I am so happy, and I love my life, and when I came into Al-Anon, my husband was such a drunk, and I was angry at him, and I was fighting with him, and I, and I said to her, oh, are you still married? She said, oh, yes. I said, does your husband still drink? She said, oh, yes. And so it wasn't a matter of changing him. It was yeah. a matter of, Coming to terms with, and in Al Anon, they say, treat the alcoholic with love and respect. So when
0: couple Even you taking the time to do that is, I mean, that's amazing. That, mm-hmm. that is a, like an act of love, you know, to no, try I, to understand or relate to what he had been going through, what that, he struggled
1: but with. I started and started doing that. It's for me, it's because yeah. I. Because I was angry and I was, you know, in a knot. And so when you forgive someone else, you're letting yourself off the hook. You're not, it's like saying holding a grudge is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. Wow. It's, it's, it's so you're always doing it for yourself. But if you're in a knot about a behavior your partner has, it's not about changing that behavior. It's about changing internally your thoughts. And and uh, then
0: very powerful things, stuff.
1: Yeah, yes. there were things Sean does that I used to really hate. That now I really enjoy, uh, just because I understand him.
0: Understanding, so, oh, that's yeah. so important. Not yeah. changing, just trying to understand. That's right. Yeah. So, dude, tell me, tell me the truth now, because listen, I um. Uh, kind of hijack this because I really do love your guys' relationship. You talking about it, but we're about an hour into this, and I yeah. think I asked you to just sit down with me for an hour. How are you doing on time? I have a few more minutes. I can. You have uh, a few more minutes. Yeah. Do you think? I'm putting you on the spot. Can we do a part two of this at some point in time? That like, would be great. You're, love, you're, would I have great. so much to talk about. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love. Okay. To
1: about, uh, we can talk about thought exchange and about music, whatever. Right. Like I,
0: I am not kidding. I have two more pages of notes about. What if we do that? Like about. I want to touch on your music career and then we'll do it in part two with this, these mm-hmm. books and the thought exchange because I did my homework for this and I have now like read all of your books and oh, wow. Oh, wow, I am like such a fan and I have like <laughs> great notes, things I want to talk about. But I do, I feel like this, you know, Steve and I like fangirl out when you come over and we were... There was one point in time, I think it was after we had gone to the Duke Children's Hospital fundraiser with you guys yep. and heard your music in person and the guests that were there and the comedian. I mean, it was such an amazing event. Yeah. And so I want to say it was after that. We came home and we went on this YouTube rabbit hole of watching you work. Um Y'all go do yourselves a favor. And YouTube, David Freeman, and I think you put Aladdin in there. There there he is, like, conducting behind the scenes of this movie that I grew up on. And I was just starstruck. Oh. <laughs> so I, this is probably, you know, a very broad question. But, can, like, when did you know that you had this talent, that your music career, like, this was actually, well, that your music was going to be a career for you? Well, I actually, I knew I had a lot of talent when I was five. I mean, I played guitar piano and stuff like that.
1: But I was always afraid of my music. I was afraid of a music career. I say I was an artist who was raised to be an accountant. Uh, So (laughs) I really, when I look back on it, one of my real um, challenges, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how gifted I was, how powerful I am in the world. I' uh, very much due to my raising. And so when I was getting ready to go to college, I was applying to like business schools and oh my goodness. a friend of our family's who was a musician and I you know I had always I was in the orchestra, I was in the band, I was the concert master in the high school orchestra, I played bassoon, I played piano I you know went to the music school on Saturdays. Uh, this woman said to my parents, listen. It would be a tragedy for the world if David didn't go into music.
0: My brain went right there when you said business school. I'm like, can you imagine if we were like robbed of this gift? Like if you were just crunching numbers instead. Well, I
1: just went, you know, so I went to New England Conservatory and I uh, I mean, there's a whole thing. I never had a piano when I was a kid. And my father, we got a piano when I was 10. And when I was 12, I was going out to play baseball on Sunday. And my father said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to play baseball. And he said, I want you to practice the piano. And I said, no, I'm playing baseball. And he said, if you leave this house, I'm stopping your lessons. And he stopped my lessons. I never had another lesson until I was 17. Oh, wow. And he said to me later, well, David, you know, you made the choice. I said I was eleven. If I had told you I want to <laughs> buy a house and buy, drive a car, would you have let me? know? <laughs> <laughs> eleven.
0: Right. Don't. So you go to New England Conservatory. What can I like when was your first aha moment? Like, I I might be making it here. Like this is well, I, I went back to be a I didn't have enough piano training, but I did study piano because I was very gifted. Which if and, you watch David, guys, if you watch him play the piano, to think that he didn't have lessons his entire life is mind-blowing, but... <laughs> but, you
1: know, I was not... It was too late, really, for me to be a concert pianist. I thought I wanted to be a concert pianist. But then I was I was studying um, at the Dow Crow School, which was the school I grew up in, which was about eurythmics and movement and movement mm-hmm. music. And um, when I was 17... I went for the summer to get a teacher certificate and the Swiss lady who ran the school um, sat me down and she said, David, you are the youngest person ever to get this certificate and you potentially have a great career ahead of you in music. However, recently I noticed a trashy nightclub idiom infiltrating your improvisations and if you are not extremely careful, you could end up in the pit of a Broadway show.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I heard that and I went, okay, I like okay. it. So I graduated, I went to New York, and my career really was in theater. You know, I mean, I, I conducted sure. uh, six Broadway shows and then I went to the uh, I I conducted an off-Broadway show with Alan Menken, and then he hired. Me to but do was
0: it. that a minute, like a moment when you, you're like, okay, I've got my first. I'm the main conductor for a Broadway show, or oh was it? Oh, I'm on the Today Show, or it's this so and so singing my song, or oh, I got Disney. Like, what was? Was well, there a moment? They were.
1: There wasn't a moment. There were all moments. I remember when I was okay. conducting on Broadway. Occasionally, after the show, I would get page to the stage door, and it would be some kid who would say to me, "I want to be a Broadway conductor." Can you tell me how to do that? And I'd say, you know what? I can't really tell you how to do it for you. I can tell you the crazy number of things that happened to me that led to that. But I said, you know what? Since you had the nerve to come backstage and just page me cold, come on in. Sit in the pit. Meet the players. I'll give you a tour backstage. Oh, you probably made some kids, kids' dreams this, come true. <laughs> not, not only that, a lot of those people did become conductors. Oh. Uh, and and so well because people did that for me.
0: So that's amazing.
1: So it, you know, there's a story. There's a million stories about how I became a conductor, and you know, the twelve things that happened that you know were serendipitous. Uh but I I would do a career, and then I just would um. I'd have success. And I'd say, you know, I don't know, this isn't doing it for me. Maybe it's because I'm not supposed to be a conductor. I'm supposed to be doing movies. And then I do movies and I'd say, wait, this isn't doing me. Maybe it's because I'm supposed to be writing. And then I'd write. And that's why I wrote all these books about metaphysics, because I realized that it's not about any of those achievements. It's about what's inside of you. It's what's, it. it's, what you're thinking and how you're holding things. And I know many people of tremendous achievement who are not happy.
0: And I know very- Which is so fascinating, you know, when you deep dive into that, but yes- like that doesn't mean happy. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't guarantee happiness. Like you I mean, can have however many awards and Emmys Absolutely. And it doesn't guarantee it. And with that, you know,
1: if we do another session or when we do another session, that really gets into thought exchange. And that really gets into what I teach about, what I've discovered about, you know, what really is uh important and what really makes our lives uh meaningful and valuable is not any of these achievements in and of themselves, although they are a vehicle for that, but it is how we're holding them, how we're thinking. Uh, And really, there are so many times where I can think, oh God, I'm absolutely a failure, and I have nothing, and I, you know, because your mind can take you there, uh, and it has nothing to do with these achievements. So the first part of our life uh, we're concerned with achievements, but then, in a certain way, as things start falling apart, as things start, uh, you know, not working out, or you have a failure, or you have an illness, you have whatever, you start to think, wait a minute, I'm, I'm grasping on to things that are very temporary, that yeah. can come and go. What is it that um, that What is it? Who am I? the consciousness behind all these things that is unchanging, that I can go through this and go through that. And I am, you know, in thought exchange, I'll give you a little preview. I start, I say, look at your thoughts. Notice your sensations. Notice your thoughts. Notice your sensations. Who's noticing that? It is not your thoughts and sensations and what happened in the world are not you. You are the consciousness behind that. You are the loving consciousness. You are the unchanging. You are the infinite possibility behind that. And until we identify ourselves as that, because life is going to happen. People think yeah. life is about I'm going to get it perfect. And my house is going to be good. I'm my husband. And my children. <laughs> and, my, and, and then things happen. And my favorite thing, I you know, I speak Italian. And in Italian, the word for accident is incidente. It's not an accident. It's not something that's supposed to have not happened. It's something that happened. So you were going along oh in gosh, your life, I love that. And then your <laughs> car crash. It's not that, oh, damn, my life was doing so well and then had a car accident. It's now your life is in this car accident, this car crash. Yeah. And now I'm dealing with that, and I'm learning lessons from healing, and I'm learning how much people love me. When my ex left me, I learned two things. uh one was, but the most important one was how loved I am. I've never felt so lonely and I've never felt so loved because the wow. both rose to the occasion. So it was an opportunity sure. to know that. So everything, it's not like, oh, yay, I had a car accident. But where is the opportunity for love? You know, when I had my heart surgery, I found out that Sean could really deliver for me.
0: Aww. I found
1: out that my brother and his wife were willing to take a week off and just come live with me when Sean was away. I found out all these things that and so whenever I have a thought exchange student whose mother used to always say whenever anything upsetting would happen, I wonder what wonderful surprise is coming. <laughs>
0: and what a truly amazing way to look at it because you're right it's going to happen life is going to happen i can speak to that for sure you know but that's right and i've actually said this a few times on my podcast that i really never try to say i have regrets or i wish i would have done that or this because everything that's happened in my life has just put me where i am has made me where i am and if you can just try to really embrace that and appreciate that and what you
1: don't know there's a There's a wonderful Buddhist story about a poor farmer, and all of a sudden, a horse shows up out of nowhere, and the farmer says, oh, how wonderful that that horse showed up because I really needed a horse for my farm. And the Buddhist wise man says, maybe yes, maybe no. The next day, his son is riding the horse and falls off and breaks his leg. And the farmer says, how terrible that that horse came so my son should fall off and break his leg. And the Buddhist says, maybe yes, maybe no. And the next day, the army conscription officer comes and takes all the boys in the village except his son because his son has a broken leg. And he says, how Ah. wonderful that that horse came so my son could fall off and break his leg and wouldn't have to go to the army. It goes on forever. And I
0: it, love that. It, yeah. You know, I'm going to try to regurgitate that to Steven later. I'm going to botch it, but so I'm going to make him. I'm going to play this back for him. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's amazing. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> oh, David, I really, I have to lock you down for a part two because we didn't even scratch the surface. There's so
1: much I, to talk about. I would love it. I'd be delighted. You are a terrific interviewer. You are. A great oh,
0: guest that guest. is such terrific. a compliment. That you're. You know, I have my the message saved that you and um Sean left me when you were driving home, and I, yeah. I think you're like in Virginia and it, yep. I'm going to keep that forever. It made me feel so good. So thank you guys. Thank you for your support.
1: Well, we love you guys. We'd love to see you more and I'm happy to talk to you.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Now, David, if I want, and I know, you know, we talked about this when you are here because somehow we got to get this out there, but how can people find your musics and find your books and find, where can we find you online? Well, my books can be found most of amazon.com. You
1: can just put in David Friedman, F R I E D M A N books and uh, you can find, uh, my the the dot thoughtexchange.com. You find everything about the thought exchange. And I do a thought exchange class on Wednesdays. I do a singing class on Mondays. You can write to me at DavidFriedmancomposer at gmail.com. And I'll give you information about that. And those, I are love the it. Department. And I'm going
0: to post about it too, guys, when I release this episode. But thank you for continuing to support me, to listen. You can follow me on Spotify at Bright Minds with Ashmon. Um, I would love it if you would follow the podcast. Give me a few stars on there. Um, you can actually even comment on the episodes, which could be fun. So far, I have one comment, and it's from my mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll comment. <laughs> right? Um, all right, y'all. Stay in tune for part two of this because there is a lot more where this came from. Bye, y'all. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. This was really um, fun. <laughs> can we really, is that too much? Am I putting you on the spot? Like, can we do this again? Oh, no, I'd love to. I would love okay. to. I That's really, we've got to talk about your books, you know? I mean, I'd there's love- so much good stuff here. And again, I, would- I did my homework, so. <laughs> I loved
1: it. It's, easy. it's like visiting with you. It's terrific. Oh, I loved it. Oh, David, I love
0: you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take okay. care. Let me know Bye. when you want to do it. And we'll figure it I out. will do that. Thank okay. you. Bye.